Before we get started, we want to let you know that there is a pretty liberal use of the F word in this episode. It's in the title of our guest book, and we thought it would be more authentic to use the word than dance around it. If this is uncomfortable, maybe skip to the next episode. If not, we hope you enjoy our conversation today. It's very informative, and thanks for listening. Welcome to Behavioral Groups, the podcast that explores human behavior through a behavioral science lens. I'm Kurt. And I'm Tim. We like to explore why we do what we do with some of the smartest and brightest people in the world so we can learn from them and share some of their knowledge with you, our listeners. One of the great things about this work is that we talk to a wide range of experts, from social psychologists to primatologists to economists to business experts. And to parenting specialists. Oh, which is one area I know I could really use some help with, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Houlihan. I definitely know that. Get in line. Our guest today is one of those parenting specialists, Sue Donlin. And she's a mom of four, a business owner, an award-winning author, and an expert in helping parents improve their child-raising skills and mindsets. We were able to talk to her about her new book, Secrets to Parenting Without Giving a Fuck. <gasps> If you are like me and want to be a better parent, then this episode is just what the doctor ordered. Sue provides some great insight into why the command and control approach that many of us were raised with and might be what we're using with our own children may not be the most beneficial way to parent. Yeah, she talks about how she came to the realization that she couldn't continue with the way she was parenting before. And just needed to find a new way, one that was better for her and her children and takes us on that journey of discovery. Talking about how we need to give up our ideas of control, stop micromanaging, work with them on setting up mutual expectations. And Tim, she gives us the secret mantra. You're you're not going to tell us? Yeah, I'm waiting. You're <laughs> not going to tell us what the secret mantra is? Uh, nope. Nope, because if I did that, then why would you listen to the episode? So we're going to make you listen to this episode to find out. All right. I guess, Groovers, you're just going to have to listen. And note that it's somewhere around the 26-minute point, by the way. Hey, that's cheating. <laughs> that's cheating, just Tim. To, just trying to be the host with the most here. <laughs> pretty sure that's already the case, Mr. Hulu, and pretty sure that's already the case. Okay, and just to note, for anyone who isn't a parent, or if your kids are out of the house, like mine, this is an episode that still holds some really fundamental truths that can help be applied to non-parenting situations. So go ahead and listen. We urge you to look for the larger insights into how we behave as humans and how the tips for parents are really just tips for everyday life. Oh, so true. So true. Okay, with that. Sit back with a big pour of parental get-through-the-day liquid and try to relax with a little time that you have between packing lunches, taking kids to ballet and soccer and piano, and setting up camps and playdates and everything else of our busy parenting days and enjoy our conversation with Sue Donnellan. Sue Donlin, welcome to Behavioral Groups. Thank you. Very happy to be here. We are as well. We're happy that you are here. And we start every every episode with a speed round. So no surprise here. We will ask you four questions. Pretty simple, but uh, 
Let's see how this goes. So the first question is, do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee, but I, well, I drink both, but coffee. Oh, okay. So now is there a time we've talked to other people who it's like coffee first thing in the morning and then at about noon I switch over to tea. Is there any kind of routine that you have with that? Uh, Coffee in the morning. Um, I do have herbal tea with my meals, but most, more than anything, I drink three of these a day of water. Three big things of water. There you go. Very, very good. Okay. If I had to get coffee or tea, coffee. <laughs> so how do you get life done not being in the bathroom all day? I have with... a liver of steel. I had triplets. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. Uh, I, we can't go any further down that hole. Um, so um, second, second question. Dinner. Would you prefer to have dinner with your favorite athlete or your favorite musician? Musician. That was pretty quick. I have a favorite musician. And can you share? Is that a secret or can you it's share? It's not with a us? secret. Um, it's not somebody that anyone would ever expect. In fact, she is on my ringtone for probably 25 plus years. I haven't changed it. And she's like a soul sister, even though I've never met her. But I really identify with her. And her name is Sade. You know Sade? <gasps> yes. Yes. Uh, ever since the 80s. I mean, grew up in the 80s. You know, I, I just love her music. is timeless and classy and... I can hear it over and over and over again, 20 plus years. And I hear something new. I, I just can't say enough about how much I love Sade. <laughs> oh my wow. gosh. Smooth operator. My yes. gosh. <laughs> oh man. Fantastic. Yeah. Cherish the day is my ringtone. So. And, and 20, 20 plus years with the same ringtone on that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. yeah. My kids make fun of me because when we first had phones, they couldn't transfer the ringtones over every time and they didn't really perfect the downloading yep, way yeah. back in the day. And I was like, I had a little flip phone and I'd bring my kids in with me and you're keeping my Sade. I don't care what you have to do. <laughs> if I lose all my stuff, you're keeping my Sade ringtone. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, oh, oh I'm great. sure Tim might have some more questions about that as as we get into the musical yes. portion of the of the okay. episode. But but <laughs> we are still in the speed round, which of course is never speedy, as our listeners know. Uh, so third question: When you are having a hard time deciding between two things, should we make a a long list of pros and cons, or should we sometimes just flip a coin? What do you think? Uh, typically, my what I do when I have a heart, usually I'm very opinionated and, and make decisions in a snap. I'm pretty good with that. However, when I do have a conundrum, what I do is I wallow in the, the full ramifications of, you know, 180, 360 degrees of it. And then I let it go mm. within about a week. Um, the answer comes to me. Okay. Interesting. Wow. I, I really, I, 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 I wallow. I think, you know, if I go this way, left, right, up, down, what what are all the ramifications of every part of that decision? And then I just put it out of my head. And I, and then a lot of times I'm in the shower putting on makeup or waking up in the morning when, when my brain is relaxed, driving. Yep. Yeah. And I'll, the feeling will overcome me or I'll get a message or I'll get a feeling as to what the right answer is for me in that with that situation. That's interesting. So there's there's a there's a psychological principle called the Zagarnik, Zagarnik principle, which basically says, look, if you're thinking about something, you end something halfway through, uh, our subconscious mind still process that even though we're not necessarily consciously thinking about it and oftentimes helps in some of that brainstorming decision making various different aspects of it. So it sounds like and it's not apples to apples to what you're talking about, but there is an element of there that it sounds like the Zagarnik effect is taking place 
back in your subconscious as you're moving through that. So cool. Well, I try to be in touch with my instincts and my, my intuitiveness. And um, that really helps me. That just, you know, I do have a little thing in, that I put in the book about flipping a coin. If you have a hard time with a quick decision, flip the coin. And when the coin is landing, you're going to immediately have a feeling of what you hope. That will be, like, yeah. Oh. My so, heads or my tails. There you go. Good. It, yeah. it, it is a valid It is a valid choice. But if it's a really important decision, I usually sit on it and let the answer kind of come through me. And that has always worked. Good. That That's fantastic. Um, okay, last speed round question. Do parents really have control over their kids or is it just an illusion? Oh, God, that's an illusion. And you shouldn't <laughs> have control. <laughs> you want to have control. And yeah, we'll get into all of that. But no, we, we don't have control over anyone. Yeah. So we are talking w- with Sue Donlan about secrets to parenting without giving a fuck. And we need to just start with, let's just start at the top top of it here. Give us, a, first of all, why the title? I love, you've you got a great story as to, it's really not about the kids. Maybe maybe you could just start with sort of what's the overall thesis and, and why you named the book this? Well, I... First of all, the word fuck is in my authentic vernacular. Okay. So I'm a, I swear like a sailor. I love raunchy comedy. I, I'm not shy about any of that. Right. And um, right. so I didn't use it to be cute and attention getting. It, it is. And, and, and actually one of the dads that I've mentored for years is the one that came up with the title. And once I heard it, I could never unhear it. I thought, wow. I mean, I really did try to come up with an option that didn't have the word fuck in it because it does complicate my selling of the book. Yeah. Um, You know, I can't, I can't advertise on Amazon and so forth. You know, I can't spend ad dollars. They they won't take ad dollars for the word, you know, if you've got the word fuck in there, but, but it really captures the counterintuitive message of what my mentoring is about and what my parenting message is about. So uh, the title, like I said, came from somebody who's been mentored by me and has changed his life through some of the things that I've taught him with his relationship with his daughter. And he, he's the one that came up with it. And I, I just thought, wow, yes, that's, that's it. So I, I love the title. And as I worked in the process of you know editors and so forth, all the different people that touched the parts of the book, no one told me to change it. Mm. <laughs> that's great. So, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm. I feel passionate about the title. I think it's as descriptive as I want it to be for the content that's inside of the book. Yeah. So help us understand what that content is. What What is the main thesis of the book? What are you? What's the? If you had to boil it down to the quick thirty second elevator pitch, which I'm sure you can't, but if you know, if you had to. <laughs> How would you describe what the book is about in your point of view here? Yeah, it's about that we think that we have to change the child with any behavior. And ultimately, what we really need to do is change ourselves and the way we view and the way we perceive. And just that understanding of the fact that we are only in control of ourselves. We're not in control of anyone else, nor should we be. And that the counterintuitive message that I like to pass is that, you know, we do the opposite of what our instincts tell us and we become better parents. Mm generations we've been parenting a certain way of like restriction and and punishment and all of these things and they don't work and yet generation after generation is like i don't know my kids are talking back to me i can't get my kids to listen so that and you know parenting without giving a fuck really learn how to let go of what you shouldn't be managing and controlling release the child to discover and learn on their own and, and respect is at the foundation of that where i respect you to make decisions i respect you to make mistakes 
and I respect you to learn from them. I thought I think it is really great, and I love that the title actually sort of tees up the idea. In at least in my mind, at first, is well, it's about parenting, meaning controlling or managing the kids. When there's this really lovely juxtaposition about really, it's about changing yourself, about changing your parents' behavior. How did you come to? This, this idea of turning the tables on the conventional wisdom about parenting is really about managing yourself first. Well, uh, so the, the quick background is that I, I never really liked kids and never really wanted kids. Um, so that's the fun. And you have four. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am the one that would be surprised with triplets when I was not really wanting. I mean, this is hilarious. I mean, Anyone that knows me has finds the humor in the story that's known me for years. <laughs> I was never really a fan. I was never really coochie cooing with babies and wanting to hold anyone's baby. And I just wasn't drawn to the motherhood thing. But my husband is an amazing man, loves, comes from a bigger family, loves kids, is truly perfection. I just, we met in college, we're together for 30 years, like, loves. And his, and his name is? Him. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I just couldn't. You had to. You had to. I had to. Oh, you know, we marry this guy and, you know, he wants a family. I'm like, ah, how bad could it be? Right. So <laughs> that is like so the, the best, the best uh, kind of, ah, how Parenting. bad could it be? Let's just, you know, whatever. All right. Well, I'm a businesswoman. I run my own business. And I always tell him this was a business decision. Like, I'm happily married. Do you want a kid? I have a kid. I mean, you know, how bad could it be? I, <laughs> it was a business decision. So okay. we have the one. And uh, yeah, then it was, you know, it was really just tripping over ourselves with this kid. You know, he drops his muffin and we're picking, you know, we're, uh, he was, we were just consumed with this one child. And I thought, okay, if I had one, I should have two. This kid, you know, needs a buddy, have my second, get pregnant my second time and find out that two eggs dropped in one split end up with, you know, going from one to four kids immediately. Um, so here's a person who never really thought she'd be in the family way now very much in the family way. And I had a lot to learn, right? So those with the most to learn sort of become some of the best teachers, right? Because our journey, I like to say my learning curve was like a vertical line. I went from you know, my arrogance and my, my, my ego and just, you know, I tell the kid to do it. He's so happy. I asked, right. That's, I didn't know who knows what I had no idea what it took the nuanced layers that it takes to parent a child. So, you know, you ask how I came to this, this way of thinking that parenting is about the parent. And that was just from hard knocks, real life being thrown into the deep end from one to four kids and a full-time business and a husband who deployed overwhelmed drowning in stress kids not listening and me screaming my head off um so i had to really shore myself up and say what am i you know i've got to figure this out and i noticed my kids eyes are glazing over when i'm yelling and i know that it's not working so yeah. i had to take, they were in a Montessori uh, preschool at that time. My oldest was, I think, in kindergarten and I was just yelling all the time. I mean, mm. I'm Italian, you know, I'm like screaming, do it because I said and be happy. I asked, you know, and I, I, so I took a parenting class at the school and that sort of opened my eyes to what children are capable of. We, even, even as, even like in preschool. Yeah. Blown away that I am chasing my tail, doing laundry, packing lunches, doing all this work for four kids 
when they are going to this Montessori where their foundation is about independence and can do, right? What the kids can do. And that just opened my eyes to, whoa, you know, how if I structured my home this way and if I asked questions this way and if I you know, allowed the kids their, their journey. And I stopped controlling and yelling, what would happen? And I just, you know, I I learned, I learned quickly and, you know, the the triplets were three and Matt, my oldest was probably five. And, um, you know, I really just had to do an about face. I had to pivot quickly because I was really, really drowning with stress. And like I said, the yelling and of course we all find out that doesn't work. Right. So I was very, um, aggressive hunt to find out what did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that you talked about you being business person and kind of even the business decision to have kids and different things. And we talk a lot on the show about relationships in the workplace and dynamics between colleagues. And it, you know, it, there's a, there's a, seems to be a big overlap in parenting and in, in the relationships that you, again, as a boss, you don't want to be the boss that is always yelling and do it because I told you to. And similar, it seems to like in, in this. So why, do parents struggle to let go of that thinking of having control over who their children will become, all that kind of stuff? Well, you know, it's about ego. And in the book, in the book that I wrote, I did it very deliberately. The first half of the book is your relationship with yourself because life is about relationships. So the first half is about your relationship with yourself. And then once we get that sort of under uh, scrutiny. <laughs> then the second half of the book, we take what we've learned in the first half and we take that sec into the second half is about your relationship with your kids. Mm. And interesting, you know, Kurt, you, you bring up such a great point because after uh, going through all of these um, methods and, and trials and tribulations with what's going to work with kids and the psychology behind it all, and really kind of hammering that down and finding out what worked and experimenting. Wow. I end the first half of the book with the magic mantra and that is going to help everybody's relationships with everybody. I, I, that, was, that was a phenomenal awakening for me as to learning this magic mantra and sharing that because it helps every relationship, not just your children, but with your marriage. So my husband, who's in the military, you know, flew fighter jets, and now he's a general, has said that you know, the foundation of raising children and what you're learning is applicable to leadership and it's applicable across the board. And if you can learn these methods of letting go of control and getting your ego out of the way and understanding when it's your ego talking, then when that moves out of the way, you're less apt to control. You're less apt to need to have other people do it your way. It just opens your mind to all sorts of possibilities and it really frees the kids up to experiment and learn on their own what's going to work for them. Because what works for me doesn't necessarily have to work for them. And who am I to say that my way is the best way? Um, because then in the second half, we talk about partnership parenting and that's a whole mindset right there. But anyway. Okay. So, so you teed up, you teed up the magic mantra. All right. Now, are you going to, are we going to make people have to go out and buy the book or, or are you going <laughs> to? <laughs> well, so the magic mantra came to me um, out of sheer frustration of having four teenagers. And um, yeah, so, Early on, when you're a parent, your kids need you so much. You are so needed and you're so, um, your opinion is solicited and it's also cuddly and warm and wonderful. And then, you know, preteen hits, 12, 13 starts to hit and their friends start to become way more important to them and their social life. And you're just chump change at that point. Um, 
And I found myself really having to figure out how to let go and when to let go. And the magic mantra is that I'm only in charge of me. I'm not in charge of you. And that sounds so deceptively simple. But when you embrace the idea that, look, I'm tapping out. I'm only in charge of me. I'm not in charge of you. When you really roll around in what that statement means and how it manifests in your life day to day, and you force yourself to really let go of where you think you need to be involved. Wow. You know, as I said earlier, I'm a business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. So I'm very type A do it because I said, right, you know, if I can't do, if I'm not going to, if it's going to get done right, I'm going to, you know, that type of thing. And I really, really had a lot to learn to let that go and let life spontaneously evolve the way it's meant to. And whoa, did my relationships change uh, for the better across. And and this is central to this whole idea of parenting without giving a fuck, right? Like like this is, I can only control me. I, I can't control you. Uh, was there like an aha moment that you were like, oh, that's it? Were um, you in the midst of the teenage years when all of a sudden, wait a minute? It was definitely the teenagers because like our, you know, our oldest is th- two and a half, three years older. So he's probably what, 16, kids are, the triplets are 13, you know, around this age. I'm knee deep in it um, of rejection and, you know, questioning <laughs> and fighting and setting the toe over the line. I'm, I'm, I'm just, and this is when... Um, if I can get parents with younger kids and they get this foundation, they get this philosophy, by the time that your kids reach that 13, 14 age, you know that you've got confidence in all that you've taught, all that you've trained, all that your kids have been able to discover, that where you are able to let that go, you're able to understand that restriction creates rebellion and you're able to understand what's going on and how they need to go learn lessons on their own and through other people, like teachers, coaches, bosses. It's time now that you've done your work, you've laid your foundation, and they are now ready to be learning from other people. Mm. And that's when you really let that go. They have they know your answer to everything because you've been talking, you've been <laughs> training. So I'm only in charge of me, you know? Let me know how that works out for you. Yeah. <laughs> right? I- uh, yeah, right. Because uh, that's 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 really how we are. And again, kind of getting back to that speed round question, it really is an illusion, right? That we really think that we can, that we are somehow in control of of other people. Uh, one of the things that I recognized in the way that you're writing the book, and in, in behavioral science, we talk about choice architecture, framing questions. Like we would never ask a child, "Well, would you rather have uh, this really uh, healthy uh, piece of celery, or would you rather have a donut?" You know, we would never frame that, you know, because we know what the answer is. But you, you ask, you, you would frame things like, "Would you rather clean your room now or in an hour?" And then you would set a timer. How difficult was it to enforce those? Because there is, you know, we call that good choice architecture, where you're allowing them to choose, but to some degree, they know that they're going to have to choose, you know, cleaning their room. How, how, how do you go about enforcing things like that as, as, a, as a parent who doesn't give a fuck? Uh, well you know you give very much of a fuck on certain things Um, (laughs) you're giving the child respect and you're not micromanaging you know i like to talk about how i really had very few rules but the rules that i had i did not deviate from Mm. so 
you know, those rules change. It's an ever-changing landscape, right? So when they're teenagers and they have a curfew, I, and I have a chapter in the first half about not being for sale. So I'm not for sale. If I'm going to set the tone or we're going to come up and we're going to partner on a, on a uh, curfew, we're going to decide that and I'm not deviating. But there's a lot of other open-ended. Here's the boundary. The boundary is drawn in a, in a wide, big circle. Um, but you have so much choice within that circle to make choices and to fall on your face and to make mistakes and to learn and grow. Um, so when it comes to setting the timer and, and asking them to clean their room, understand that going into that decision, I haven't already micromanaged them. I already haven't browbeat them with a variety of things they need to do and how they need to do it. It's very, very open-ended. So you have to kind of decide upfront what, where, what you're going to stand on and what, what's important to you. And then you, you, you talk to the kids upfront, here are my expectations and you lay it up upfront. And I have a whole process that I talk about, you know, parenting in advance and looking for patterns, but Anyway, you, you sit with the child and this is one of the things that parents don't think to do, but we think that we have to be up here, you know, making all the decisions and executing all of that. Whereas what you really want to do is you want to sit down and talk to your kids and at any age, five, six, three, four, my expectation is this, um, tell them in advance, uh, give them the timeline that you want it done. And then you have to follow up. Mm. Yes. I make it sound like it's easy. Are there going to be times where you have to take them by the hand? We discuss this. You get this buy-in up front when you deal with them in, you know, in advance. Here are my expectations. We're doing a lot of this advanced thinking, which I help parents do. What's important to you? And like any boss would do, what's important to you? Here are my expectations. Um, and here's your timeline. And it can happen. That mentality can happen through all the ages, through all the phases. And that's kind of you know, how we structure it in the home, very much like the real world. I try to structure and mirror society in my home so that when they get out there, they know that if they don't show up for work, they get fired. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of parenting in advance. And and, and that that's kind of my methodology for getting that to work with your example of getting the room cleaned. <laughs> so our, our uh, research associate, Mary, that had uh, a big input on some of these questions that we had. And one that she found really interesting, a quote from you is uh, guilt is like having a third boob. It serves no other purpose than to make you feel weird and wrong, which I would have to say, I would, I, I double down on that. And, and that's a, that's a great <laughs> that question. That would be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Just weird and wrong. Right. Uh, and so, but this idea, you, you bring up this point though, that we get swallowed as parents by this guilt. Like we're, oh my gosh, my kids aren't doing what, you know, I, I thought they would be doing, or I did something and I'm, you know, have done this horrible thing. And now my kids are going to be paying for it long-term when in fact, it's probably not the case, but how do we overcome or why do we get swallowed up in that guilt? And then what, what do we need to be doing about that? Well, again, getting back to the structure of the book, you know, that's why I did um, ego and letting go of control prior mm. to guilt. Okay. Because we do have to understand when our ego is making decisions and when our ego is involved in anything that we do, you need to really put a mirror on yourself and deep dive. And I have questions at the end of the chapter yeah. that help expose all of those things. You know, and I give some examples too about how I had to put the mirror on myself. And basically the whole book is me pimping myself for the reader to learn the lesson because I made all of these mistakes and I had to learn. So, but when it comes to guilt, I, I happen to be pretty lucky. I just don't do guilt. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not an emotionally 
based person. I'm not emotionally run. I'm very, very big picture. And that's kind of um, whenever I found myself sort of in the minutia, finding myself maybe a little bit more emotional than normal, I always went up to the big picture and thought, okay, how is this going to matter in a week, in two months, in three years? You know, just very broad stroke thinking. Um, and, and, and it's a fishbowl. Parenting is every single day you are discovering something new, learning something new that you've never seen before. We have to be easy on ourselves. We don't have to know these answers. And when parents are going through parenting with their firstborn, mm. we don't know what's in store. So we make a big deal about things we don't need to make a big deal about, which is why people write books and why people mentor, because we want to help other parents avoid all that drama and stress if we can. Uh, so for guilt, I happen to be wired differently that I just don't do guilt, but I felt it was important to put in the chapter and really break out the parts of guilt, right? The society that we, you know, the, the guilt that we put onto our kids and all the, the four different types of guilt that are out there and to, to make parents aware of that and, and maybe recognize those, those emotions when they're going on so that you can sort of step back and go, do I own any part of this? Mm. If I do, let me clarify my position or apologize if it was a miscommunication. And then I'm letting it go. It takes practice. But if you own your part, you don't need to do anymore because I'm only in charge of me. I'm not in charge of you. I'm not in charge of how you hear this. I'm not in charge of how you're interpreting it or what your perception is. These are things you have to work out. And I respect you enough to figure that out. So when it comes to guilt, um, I really try to train parents to understand what's going on, find isolate the emotion of, of what maybe you know, is, is triggering that feeling for them and learn how to let it go mm. because all control of you. So fix it, apologize for it. If it's a miscommunication, you know, clarify and move on. You're done. I'm glad that you brought up the the magic mantra again, because uh, it, it, what I love throughout the book is that you sort of talk about two sides of the same coin. One side is the magic mantra, but the other side is 360 think um, decision making. Mm -hmm. And can you talk through this 360 tool that that you use uh, to help think through really you know challenging problems to help get you to a bigger picture to actually kind of deliver what 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 you're talking about there? Yes, uh, I put that um, information in the second half of the book because I really did work with my kids to help them make more informed decisions. I'm a big fan of wisdom and, and I really sort of thought long and hard about how do we inject wisdom into our kids? How do I do this as a parent? It's my responsibility. How do I get my kids to get, like I said, out of that fishbowl and look at all sides of, of a situation. So we talked about awareness in the book, you know, situational awareness and, you know, your internal awareness, connect with your gut. What, what information is before you that you can use to help you make a more informed decision. But with the 360 degree thinking, it's really training my kids to, you know, asking if they have a situation, instead of giving them the answer, look at a situation and ask yourself, you know, what happens if this, then that? when that, then this. Uh, so as they were teenagers and they were able to understand things a little bit more thoroughly, I just drew a line on the, on the, on the napkin. I was out eating with one of my kids, you know, drew a line, drew a little, you know, here you are, here's the fishbowl of high school and here's where you're going to be in college. And here's where you're going to be, you know, in your career. Let's get our, our brain out of this moment Children really, really, and with the mental health right now, they're so immersed in the minutia. How do we get our kids 
outside of their brain, outside of themselves. And so the 360 is, it gives them the opportunity to realize that they have an own control of every decision. So think before, think after, think up, think down, and come up with your best choice, the most informed choice. And here's how to think it through. Uh, and as a parent, you know, I would spend time with them deliberating all of those choices. But what, in effect, what it did was it gave the kids more independence. It gave them a chance to feel empowered and trusted. And, um, and that's ultimately what I do when I make my decisions. I think you asked me that early in the podcast. That's what I innately do. And then I found that since I innately do that, I taught my kids to do that. So I really wanted to put a decision-making chapter in the book because I think it's important. You know, not a lot of people talk about that. Yeah, it absolutely is. I, I, I loved it, uh, because, uh, it kind of gets out of a lot of the emotional decision-making that many people do on a daily basis. And we don't think of it as emotional, you know, decision-making. We, we just think, well, I, I just made the best decision at the time, but it wasn't necessarily considering what might happen if this goes well or doesn't go well. What, you know, what would this decision mean if things go, you know, if, if this particular aspect isn't compliant or, you know, to actually think through the what ifs, as you say, to sort of red team, blue team, your own decision. I, I just thought that that was a, that was a pretty fantastic thing. Thank um, you. Thank yes. you. I think it's important for kids to go through that exercise and to be taught and trained how to think strategically and how to uh, incorporate wisdom into their decision-making and to really hammer down on their ability to be autonomous and make choices and stand by those choices. And if it's a mistake, well, so what? Guess what? I have the choice to make a new choice. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah. yeah, I think it's important to, to teach them that. Yeah. I also love that you don't have to be 90 years old to have wisdom <laughs> that you, that, you know, that you, you absolutely buy into the idea that you can teach wisdom to, to teenagers. They can, they can act wisely. Well, yeah. You know, they're going to do teenage things for sure. Their brains are not fully developed and this is where they have to make their mistakes. But again, if you're a parent letting go of control, the earlier, the better. I like to say that, you know, you, you assume that at 18, the kids are out in college or whatever they're doing, you know, you have until 18. The more mistakes, the more I can set the ground for, you know, rules for them to make those mistakes at 13 to 18, the better, because now they're still at home with their safety net. Yeah. So I'm allowing freedom of choice within my boundaries. Again, I'm, I'm deciding upfront what my rules are. I was big about curfew. And I always made it 30 minutes before their friends. Just, that was just a little tactic that I used, <laughs> you know, that just, you wouldn't believe what happened. You know, if they, your friends had to be home at midnight, they had to be, mine had to be home at 1130. You can't believe how many times the kids heard, you wouldn't believe what happened when you left. <laughs> so like they, they kind of, you know, kept them a little bit uh, sheltered, but so that was something I really was not deviating from, but all the other choices they were able to make without judgment because they're kid, they're adults in training. Um, so the more I could get them to experience life, wisdom, mistakes, and decision-making before they left the house, the more wise they became. And that can't happen if I'm clamping down and restricting and punishing. It doesn't teach anything. I grew up grounded and punished. It did nothing, but made me a liar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, you, you, you get the backlash from that, right? You, it, it, it's the same thing. in in most people, we, we fight against those restrictions that we have. 
because we we don't feel that is fair and even if it is fair we don't feel that it's fair and thus we we push back and we we fight against that i i am just it was really fascinating and just kind of again thinking going back to the whole piece of you know having this uh, mindset of coming into parenting of of letting things go and and i just wanted to say uh, you talk about the four f's um, and, and I love this kind of, cause it's a simple way. Again, you have these things that are really easy to remember. Uh, you know, if it's not feeding you, funding you, fixing things for you or fucking you, then you shouldn't give a damn what they think. Um, <laughs> and it just, uh, you know, I would love for you to just expand on that and, and, and help us understand, you know, help us dig into that a little bit deeper, but I love the fact that it's there and it's like, all right, this makes this pretty, not, not just the mantra, but now it's like very kind of getting more specific as, as we're moving forward there. It's just another way of helping parents adopt that mindset of um, big picture parenting of letting go um, and, and learning the, the, the not giving a fuck mentality. And again, it's a counterintuitive. Of course, we give very much of a fuck, but it's learning where to discern, you know, what's important and wh- how to build that foundation of respect and partnership with our kids that again, we, we forget that we can ask them, yeah. get buy in. You can't believe what happens if you sit down and talk to your child and ask them the question at every age you know, what, what do you think of this? What do you, what, what do you, what kind of, you know, parents glaze over and then you say, well, ask your child what they think is a fair curfew. Well, let me tell you what, if the kid's going to come back and go, well, one o'clock. Okay. Well, you know, I can see why you'd want that, but let's try midnight for now. Let me see what you do with midnight. Do you think that kid's going to come home late if he thinks he can earn a one o'clock curfew by showing up at midnight? You know, I'm getting buy-in it's respect. It's partnership. I, you know, when, when you start asking them the question and you start saying, you know, if, you know, getting back to your whole saying about the, if it, if it, whatever the, the fuck, if we don't, yeah. <laughs> it's not fucking feeding us. Uh, it's just getting back to that mentality and helping frame it in a way that helps a parent understand that we don't, there's not really a whole lot we need to be concerning ourselves with. And I, I do talk in the book about my need to be needed early on. I didn't want to be that needed. So yes, me getting my kids to pack their own lunch and do their own laundry at five, they were capable of it. They loved doing it. And it was less that I had to do. Win-win. They felt so accomplished. So yeah, that's why I put that saying in there because I think it was just a fun way of highlighting the mentality that yeah, I'm talking about for parenting. Yeah, it's great. Thanks. So since the book has been published, we've had a global pandemic. Do you with what has happened in the last couple of years, would you reflect on anything in the book and process it differently? Not a thing. No, not a thing. This, this stands the test of time. This book was written, you know, it took me about three years to write, but it was written uh, from, you know, two to 20, really. My kids were, my oldest was off to college. This, this book, it transcends all of the phases, all of the different, you know, dynamics that are to come it's like two to 20, the ages. And, and I, I look back and I, with each passing month, with, with each passing year, I'm just as proud of the book and the content. I'm very, very proud of the content because it works. It's real world parenting. It's just, you know, from the trenches, this is, this is real world. This is what it took to get four kids out the door, independent, making their own choices, all marching to the beat of their own drum. Mm. My parent was to get them to find their purpose. They were sick of me saying, what gets you out of bed in the morning? 
uh, find that, find that passion because it's not my passion. It's your passion. So if I'm not getting involved in control and I'm only in charge of me, you're going to find what gets you out of bed in the morning. And that was my whole goal uh, is to, to help them. And now I've got four kids all doing four different things, all thriving and extremely happy and productive and nothing could make me happier as a parent. Oh, I love, I just, I, I wish uh, our listeners could see your face because you're just glowing. It's just really, it's a fantastic image just to see a parent happy about, about life. I don't have an easy segue, but I do need to ask you about what music you would take with you if you happen to be on a desert island for a year. What, what, yeah, of course. Thank goodness. Thank all goodness. Day, all day long. I think again, it's timeless. It's just, it's like listening to her songs feel like new songs every time I hear them. I don't know. She's just, she's just great. I, I really, you know, but I do like all kinds of music. I like rap. I like, you know, dance. I like, I like all kind of, the only kind of music I'm not such a fan of is country. <laughs> My okay. kids aren't happy to hear me say that, but, um, but I do like all kind of music, but Sade is just that timeless. She's, she's very meditative. So if I were on a desert island, that's what it would have to be. Yeah. If you had a second artist catalog that you could take with you, who, who would that be? Um, hmm. Or does it even matter? I mean, once you've got Sade, it's just... I love music. I do love music. I have to have music. I love the vibration of it. I love... I'm... I'm not wired naturally to be able to write or read or sing. And I find the, the talent extraordinary from people who have that gift. I find it, I could just be in their company and marvel over them creating music and to, you know, just creating, you know, creating the sound and the, the, the words. I, I, I don't know. I just, I love all kind of music. It's, you know, it's just very comforting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I would have. A We're instant there. friends. Just, I just yeah. want to let you know, just for saying what you just said. You just, oh. you want a place in the Hall of Fame of, <laughs> for just being so, so pro music because that that absolutely um, affects us. Uh, just out of curiosity, when you were writing the book, did you listen to music while you were working? I did not. It's it's well, uh, well, I guess that's not true. I do have music piped in through the house, and so it was in the background, actually. Yes. You know, I did. I didn't have the music on to inspire me. It wasn't like, you know, classical music was inspiring me, that type of thing. But I did have, you know, 60s, 70s and 80s on. Mm. And those songs um, were memories to me just growing up with the music that my mom had on in the house. So I that did help me connect to memories and just times when I was growing up and sort of deep diving my own childhood, which is something that I did. And I do talk about that in the book of you know, you have to ask yourself the hard questions. What did I bring into my parenting uh, role and how was I raised and what of that did I like and what don't I like? Yeah. And I like, talk about how I lied to my mom all the time and why, because she was controlling my every move. She was micromanaging. And at that time she thought she was doing the right thing. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing that I think is important for parents to realize. None of us are doing anything wrong. Uh, we are doing what we think is best, but when we're not getting results, we have to go, you know, that's when we start going out and looking for help. How do I, you know, get my kids not to talk back to me? How do I get them to help out around the house? That type of thing. So I had to ask myself first because parenting is about me yeah. and how I show up for my child. So why did I lie? And then that brings me to the conclusion of, well, control doesn't work. Yeah. Punishment doesn't work. 
So what does work and uh, just how you get your kids to talk to you. That was really one of my favorite chapters was how to get your kids to tell you everything. <laughs> I, I love the fact that, that you had the music being piped in 60s, 70s, 80s, and it wasn't necessarily on purpose, but that that does kind of trigger some of those those memories and brings you back to that time period. And that's one of the things that Tim and I have talked about on, on the show is is music has that ability to transcend time and to take us back into time. And again, there's been research that shows most people tend to listen to the type of music that they really liked in in very formative years. And those are the ones that we tend to fall back on when we're in stress and various other aspects of of life. And so really kind of fascinating that you had that music going on as you were writing the book and bringing up that piece of, hey, it's a self-reflection on how I was raised and what was working and not working. So fantastic. And I didn't do that actually until you asked me the question. And then I you know, because when you asked me if I had music playing, I wonder. I, I initially interpreted that to mean, did I have inspiring? You know, did you? You know, some people like classical music, whatever. Like, but no, actually, you're. Yes, I did have music on the background. It was very subliminal, very subconscious, and uh, yes, yes, it. Those memories were were flooding back, and they did help generate the the content in my book. A hundred percent, yes. That is fantastic. Sue Donlan, thank you so much for being a guest on Behavioral Groups today. Thank you for having me. What insightful, fabulous questions. I, I love, you know, all your all your questions asking about the book and just it's been very, very fun. Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our discussion with Sue. Have a free-flowing conversation and talk about whatever else comes into our so damn tired and worn out brains from being parents and being sick and whatever else is going on. <laughs> Just everybody for listeners, our, our own Mr. Tim Houlihan is uh, overcoming a bout with COVID. So he is yeah. um, trooping Full through. Disclosure. He wins the trooper award for the week. <laughs> and damn, I give you kudos, dude. Well, you, you've been through it. So you, you know what it's like, but here we are. And it, it, and getting back to parenting, it can be exhausting. It can be, it's, it's the trial of a lifetime, isn't it? To have years of trying to figure out how to be the best parent that you can be. So your kids grow up happy and healthy and, safe and all those kinds of things. Well, and I think that's what every parent wants, right? They want to provide the best opportunity for their children to be successful, to be adults that are good people, have positive interactions and live a life that's fulfilling and beneficial. Yeah. And this idea that the way that we've done it in the past is the way that we need to do it in the future I think is one of the interesting pieces that Sue brings up this idea that maybe that's not the case. It certainly is. It also starts with, with what you just said is it starts with the parent saying, this is the parent that I want to be. Mm. And that that's kind of an ego based statement. Right. And I think one of Sue's core tenets to her thesis is you got to let go. Yeah. Right. Right. You kind of have to let go of that ego because because we, we, it doesn't always help us. <laughs> you know? No, it doesn't. And, and, and the, the piece that I find really interesting about this is that that concept of letting go of your ego is a much bigger concept than just 
uh, as it relates to parenting that absolutely you can use this as a leader. You need to be letting go of your ego as a coworker in podcasting. We need to let go of our ego, Tim, you know, we did that a long time ago (laughs) (laughs) when we started the podcast, we let go of the ego. Well, I think I, I, yeah, I kind of think that got beaten out of us pretty quickly as we realized, oh crap, what are we doing? We don't know shit. So anyway, I think it's in just in general, right? I mean, this is a concept that can be used, uh, that we are a, a part of something bigger, right? This idea that, you know, mm. it's not about us. It's about something bigger. And in parenting, it's about this idea of bringing up these children to be adults. And that is a much bigger thing than the immediate need of being in control or whatever else it is there. So, yeah, I, I like the way you state that, uh, Kurt. And, and this idea of, of, control like i get it from the perspective of uh you know you have to keep the kids away from the hot stove yeah right don't don't run with the scissors you know i mean sue had some like sue had some non-negotiable things like the curfew was a big deal for her but there are so many other things that are just not till death to us part kind of issues you know that there are just lots of things that we can we can let go of our own ego and the i i know better story and yet we do it over generation after generation because that's how he how we were raised do, do you have things that when you look back i mean your kids are out of the house now but do you have things that when you look back you go god i fought them on this and in really in the big picture that was something i didn't need to kind of have that on how many hours do you have to talk about i've got <laughs> lists of things that i you know i mean there, there are certainly some regrets but I, I also know that at the time I was doing the best that I could, and I, in some ways, I wish that I would have had uh, Sue's recommendations to kind of help pull me out of that and say, you know what, this whole idea of control is an illusion. So get over yourself. Well, there are some things. I mean, I know with my kids, and you know, luckily my kids don't listen to the show, or at least they don't get to this far because my my daughter uses it to fall asleep, so she's asleep by this time. All always, but but for instance, with my daughter, I have a I, I just have a visceral response when I walk into a room, and it's just it's just a mess. It is literally just you know, it's like crap is on the floor everywhere. And granted, you know me, Tim. I am not Mister Neat Clean Freak, right? And there's, there's not this like, right. oh my gosh, everything has a place and it needs to be in there and it needs to be 100% sanitized and everything, you know, you know, no, that's not me. But you have limits too. But too. there are <laughs> limits where it's like, oh my God, how can you live in this? This is like, you know, rats are going to be, you know, just in your room, the rest of our house, they're not going to be in, but they're going to come and live in your room. And um, this is one of those things where I just go. Given given what Sue has said, I'm like, going, I need to probably readjust my thinking on this and think about, mm-hmm. all right, so how do we set up a mutually agreed upon a, a way of approaching this as opposed to me going in there and going, oh, God damn, you know, and swearing and saying, clean your freaking room up for. Right, right. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but that's the ego, right? That's the ego. It's But it's it's also this element of saying, all right obviously it's not working because it still does, you know, I mean, this has been years and it, yeah. the, the behavior hasn't changed as a behavioral scientist. I should understand. Well, 
I need to try something new. <laughs> Obviously, you know, I'm not, yeah. not very good at learning. Well, we're trying, right? We need messages multiple times, and that's that's okay. I just wish I would have heard them earlier. What did you think about the magic mantra? Mm, I'm only in charge of me. I'm not in charge of you. I'm yeah. only in charge of me. I'm not in charge of you. I, you know, there's a, there's an aspect of that that I think is really good, right? This idea that it goes back to stoic kind of thinking, right? It's like, I can yeah. only control the controllables and everything else is the th stuff that we tend to worry about and get all worked up over. And if you can't control it, don't do that, right? Don't, yeah. don't get worked up over it. So I, I think there's some really good stuff there. Yeah. As leaders in, in the corporation, um, I think it was, um, it was uh, Cecile that mm. uh, we talked to who said, it's not about managing people, it's about managing tasks. We can, we can work on controlling tasks, but let's not try to control the people. Let's, let's let the people do the tasks, but let's focus, let, you know, so let's focus on the tasks and, and, and as managers, which is a term that she really rebelled against, let's get the people who are responsible for getting other people to do things, focus on tasks and and objectives and i think that that makes a lot of sense and that's something that i i've used in my own career when as as a you know the teams that i i was responsible for it was always about getting stuff done yeah. it wasn't it wasn't about an individual who was a slacker or you know and, and when there was that was the case it was like you know what's the issue yeah this is exactly what i mean sue was talking about from a parenting perspective set up expectations in advance yeah. Here are the non-negotiables about what needs to happen, you know, from this perspective. Right. But within there, how you get something done, what motivates you to do it, what are different pieces? Let's work on that together. Let's figure this right. out. This is a this is a mutually beneficial way of approaching this because it makes it easier for you and easier for me. And wow. That's good. Right. You could actually take a little bigger view of the whole thing, of the whole, of everything. Pull, you know, zoom out a little bit, yeah. right? As, the, as, as they say, let's, let's not, let's not uh, focus too much on just these micro things because we'll get, once we have a little broader view, it's like, oh, well, in the big picture, maybe this one little thing isn't quite as important. You know, <laughs> I loved uh, it. I loved it. And I can't remember, um, when this was, but Sue talked about this idea. It will be important in a week, in a month, in a year, in 10 years. Again, go back to, you know, Elisa's room. Is it, is, am is I it gonna important, be important yeah. in, in a week, a month, a year, 10 years? You know, ah, those are, those are important. But then again, I think there's, there's pieces of this that, that go broader. And this goes for leadership. It goes for everything as well is sometimes that, you know, part of the role as a parent is to teach and to instill values that you think are going to be beneficial for somebody long term. Mm -hmm. And so the task itself is not necessarily the important thing, but it's the element that is driving that task that creates that value for the person that teaches them a lesson about what they're needing to do. Again, as we think about business, as we think about our other world, sometimes it's less about the task 
than it is about the learning that comes out of doing that there's that so there's absolutely that yeah uh anything else you know the the only there's two things so one and i thought this was really interesting this idea of 360 degree parenting this idea of getting your kids to think like that in order to you know because we tend to focus in on the very narrow kind of scope of that task that's in front of us and mm-hmm. and what I want today as a, as a child, right? We, we know their brain development isn't where it fully is. And so as much as you can to get them to step out of that immediate gratification, temporal discounting, you know, world that we tend to live in and take a larger 360 degree perspective, that red team, blue team thinking, you know, this idea of oh, yeah. gaining wisdom, right? I think that's important. And then the other piece, and this is the piece that I'm I'm taking out of this, is that um, <laughs> I love this quote. You know, Sue said, "Look, they're adults in training. This yeah. is what this is. This is yeah. your your children are adults in training. Now, granted, probably not maybe when they're you know babies and those young, but I mean, at, at twelve and sixteen, where my kids are, they're adults in training, and I need to be giving them the opportunities to." to to learn and to um, become right. the adults that we want them to be yeah right and learning takes place in a lot of different ways right it sometimes it's giving them the the agency to act on their own and sometimes it's it's not mm-hmm. you know sometimes it, it's it's more collaborative i think that that's a great point and maybe that's a good place to wrap up mm, yeah, actually yeah probably uh, yeah, so uh, we hope that you've learned something from this episode, even even if you don't have kids or maybe they're already <laughs> grown up and flown the coop like mine. Um, but the ideas that Sue presents are really just good common sense ideas that we can all learn to live by. And as the magic mantra says, I'm only in charge of me. Focusing on ourselves and our reactions is key to being a better parent and a better person. Agreed. If you found this episode useful in any way, think about who else might benefit from it. We always are grateful and we encourage you to share it with other people, especially people who you think could benefit. So send them a note, highlight them and so highlight, you know, whatever episodes in a social media post. We really appreciate it. And if you could leave a positive review on Apple or whatever pod services you use, hey, if for no other reason than to make Tim in my day and Tim is sick. So, I mean, think it's like giving him soup is to write a review. It would be the, it would warm his, his soul and make him feel better. If he saw a great review, think of he's, he's pushing through for you, our listeners. He's pushing through to, to give you this episode in a, in a timely manner, even though he's feeling sick. So, you know, the least you could do the least get over your own ego. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and help me help my ego <laughs> oh. oh all right well with that folks we hope that you were able to pick up something today that will allow you this week to go out and find your groove <laughs> <laughs>